When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Pineapple Pizza podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a selection of culinary delights. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me are the inspiring and hilarious Ashley and Emily. You must be the inspiring one. No, you're definitely the hilarious. What am I then? You just talked about Ashley. I'm not either of those things. You are the wind beneath my wings. (laughs) Wait, no. I'm weird and also mean, and it comes out as funny because people would rather not think that I mean it. It's a win-win for you. What? Can't lose, except I can. (laughs) She doesn't mean that, right? Right? No, she looks too timid to mean that. That can't be can't be true. I swear to God, we've already had this exact like this exact conversation. I don't think so. I don't know. I hardcore just deja vu that whole fucking thing. That was <laughs> oh, weird. Oh, oh. That was really we must weird. be in France. <laughs> okay, sorry, that was really weird. Emily's broken. I am. She's trapped in the matrix. All right. To start off the evening, our appetizer has a finishing flavor you may not be expecting. Oh, God. <laughs> aftertaste? <laughs> There's an aftertaste. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. I promise it's not gritty wine. It better not be gritty wine. It'll be the last time I drink a body. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the first time you drank a body. <laughs> the first and last time. I don't know what movie this is from, but I swear to God, there's a movie where someone thinks somebody's ashes is Nesquik, and they mix it into milk and drink it. And I gotta be honest, I do love some chocolate milk, but I want to think I would never make that mistake. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Nesquik's like, we do not want to be associated with this. Yeah. <laughs> PSA, most, I would assume all hot chocolate mix does not come in an urn, so. (laughs) We hope. Hope, hope not. 
new marketing I feel idea. Like it was in like a like a different kind of receptacle, and that's why it happened. Like I think they were too cheap to buy an urn. I'm probably just oh. making this up. Maybe it was in like a coffee can or something like. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I'm thinking about the movie Due Date, where his dad is in a coffee can. Nope, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our first urban legend of the evening comes from Amasia folklore and tells the story of a king's daughter who was so exceedingly beautiful that she had to cover her face with a veil. The veil wasn't used as a vain attempt to hide. It was a form of protection for others as no one was able to handle her beauty. Literally. (laughs) They just drop dead as soon as they look at her. You're so hot. (laughs) Ugh. I don't know why. I just pictured, like, if she unveils herself, a whole bunch of birds start flying into her face like she's a window or something. She just, I don't know why. That's <laughs> what so popped in my head. So we're talking, like, a reverse Medusa? Yes. She's the reverse Medusa. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> As the years went by and the girl continued to grow, there came a point when the father believed that it was time for her to find a husband and marry. As they all do. The father sent out word that whomever was able to lift her veil, withstand her beauty, and see beyond her appearance, they would be granted her hand in marriage. Considering she was a princess, it shouldn't surprise you to learn that several young men came to Amasia to try their luck at winning the mysterious lady's hand, and a chance at potentially ruling the country. The list of men who visited the king and princess in Amasia Amasia Square was long, and for each man who was able to successfully lift up her veil, they were immediately overcome by her beauty, which would cause them to fall to their knees and make their hands shake. She gave them the vapors. (laughs) Am I the only one who's like, just marry her off to a blind person? See, you're so smart. Then you can't be king, because they're never going to let a blind person be king in these old stories. That's true. Because ladies can't rule. She'd be the only one that could see. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, through her veil. This process repeated for several days until finally a poor but courageous young man approached who was able to not only lift up her veil and gaze upon her beauty, but the pair had such an electrifying connection that it caused literal fire to surround them. The young man and the princess burned to death from the heat of their connection to one another. Uh, that's a little extreme. It escalated real quickly. No kidding. Their bodies are said to be buried in a cave outside of town, and each day that the sun shines on their tomb, the surface is said to burst into flames. The following poem comes from Amit Parmashur regarding the myth of Ainali Magara. Quote, Lore has it that a king from Amasya had a daughter who was so ravishing that she had to cover her divine face. When he decided it was time for her to get married, he sent out news that the one able to lift her veil, resist her charm, and look beyond her stunning visage would become her husband. Upon this news, swarms of bachelors came to Amasya. One by one, the young men raised the princess's veil, but their hands shook, their knees buckled, So overwhelmed were they by her elegance. 
like a samayam vash. It continued till a very poor and brave young man said that he wanted to try his luck. When he did lift the veil, such a force was emitted that he and the princess perished in the inferno that surrounded them. Today they are buried in a cave outside the town, and each time the sun sparkles on their tomb, the rocky surface gleams as bright as the face of the king's ravishing daughter. End quote. Okay, is there any chance that one of the angry rich men threw like a Molotov cocktail <laughs> in there? Because that sounds more possible. <laughs> yeah. So that word that I was having a really hard time saying, samambash, yeah, that's an old Indian practice of choosing a husband by a girl of marriageable age. Just in case you guys are like, what does that mean? So the tomb, which was built during the Hellenistic age in the second century, belonged to the priestess of Mitra. It was thought to have been used as a monk house in the 11th century by the Byzantines, right? Byzantines? Byzantine. Byzantines. I was going to get there eventually. The interior also has paintings that depict the 12 apostles. Because <laughs> why not? I got not? really excited. I got really excited when you said monk house because I thought you were going to say monkey house. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, they're religious people. There aren't any cute monkeys. <laughs> no, probably not. Damn it. Ingredients for this dish was sourced from a 2020 Istanbul.com blog post titled Legends About Istanbul, a 2017 The Culture Trip article called Four Fascinating Myths and Legends from Turkey by Farid Yelav Hekorov, a Bosphorus review of books website post called The Myth of... <laughs> I love when you make that face. Ainali <laughs> Magara by... Amit Parmashur, a Max Gax blog post titled Top 10 Scary Turkish Urban Legends, Travel Store Turkey article titled The Most Stunning Turkish Myths and Legends by Mudasar, a Turkey Culture Portal, Turkey Culture Portali website article titled Ainali Magara Amasya. Yeah. Now that we've had our appetizer, I'll be right back with your next slice. Thanks for waiting. Our main course may take your breath away and leave you a little lightheaded. Murder me. <laughs> <laughs> for our main dish, we'll be sampling one of the most famous Turkish legends, the myth of Sarikis, whose name means fair maiden. This legend comes from the Kaz Dalije Mountains, in the Marmara and Aegea regions of Turkey on Mount Ida. Once upon a time, there was a beautiful girl named Sarikis, whose honey blonde hair ran past her shoulders and hazel eyes twinkled in the twilight. Sarikis was honest, faithful, not to mention kind-hearted. Such was her beauty that all the men of the village of Asos fell madly in love with her, and each day vied for her hand in marriage, but she was not interested. <laughs> She's like, get out of here, please. Good for you, honey. She's like, talk to the hand. Her father, Zilbek, <laughs> for some reason I translated it twice. <laughs> her father, Zilbek Baba, 
was highly respected by the people of their village. But upon the death of his wife, he and his daughter moved to... Why didn't this translate? I love why didn't this translate? It's such a beautiful city. (laughs) (laughs) The best sunsets happen there. I know. It's so beautiful. You can't find the words to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um... I am going to Google Translate this quick because there's no way in fuck I'm going to be able to say this word. <laughs> okay. I'm going to try this. <laughs> Her father, Zilbek Baba, was highly respected by the people of their village. But upon the death of his wife, he and his daughter moved to... Gire Keborchilash Village. At the foothills of <laughs> Kazalije, even though it was painful to move from his deceased wife and all the memories they had shared. Zilbeck and Sarikis made a living shepherding, and one day Zilbeck decided to go on a pilgrimage, which back then would have been done with a beast of burden like a donkey. This would take him around three years to complete. Before he was to depart, he sat with his daughter, Sarikis, and said to her, My daughter, I will be away from you for a long time. During my absence, promise to live a life that no one can hold it against you. She nodded and promised her father that she would do so. So it was that Zilbeck left and was gone for three years. While he was gone, many suitors came to visit Sarikis, pleading for her to accept their son's proposal but all in vain. As a result of her continued refusals, the men in the village became resentful, and soon rumors started to spread. Of course. So at this point in time, according to Turkish tradition, when a man is interested in marrying a woman, one of his parents goes to speak to the woman's parents to request permission to marry their daughter. The girl's parents would then ask their daughter if she wished to consent to the marriage. If she accepts, the man would then visit her along with his parents at her home, and upon completion of a ceremony, the pair's union would be accepted by both families. Hmm. So that's why, like, the parents are coming, and she's like, no, I don't want to marry your son. And then when they go home, the sons are all like, why doesn't she want to marry me? I'm so amazing. Look at me. So So upon Zilbeck's return, he was surrounded by the men of the village who told him that his daughter had become a prostitute. Because, of course. Ugh. It's the only reason she wouldn't want to marry them, right? Yep. The men demanded that Zilbeck restore his honor by having Sarikis killed or banished from the village as a result of her supposed sins. Unable to stomach the idea of killing his daughter, the father took her and a few geese far away from the village to the Kazalije Mountains, where he prayed for her, hoping she could survive on her own. Looking upon her father, Sarikis knew in her heart what she must do, so she wished him a safe journey back to the village before gathering the geese and continuing her ascent to the summit alone. Zilbeck returned to the village, where he cried day and night, weeping for his daughter, believing that she had perished on the mountain. Not only did Sarikis survive, 
But one day, villagers came to visit her father and told how they had seen a blonde girl when they became lost on the mountain, and she had guided them back to to a path that they recognized. When Zielbeck asked for more proof that this mysterious blonde woman could be his beloved Sarikis, the villagers told him that the woman had geese with her. I don't know how many geese ladies live on the mountain, but... (laughs) Nobody else has geese like her. Nope. These are special geese. They all had flowing blonde hair as well. Oh, the Fabios of geese. Yes. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yep. One day, some geese had wandered onto the farm of a villager on the Byramic Plain and damaged his crops. The woman then brought stones with her in her skirt, which she threw towards the farms where her geese were wandering, creating a courtyard for her geese and a wall that would prevent them from destroying the villager's livelihood. That's some really um, skillful stone tossing. She has all of these in her skirt. I'm assuming it's after like multiple trips. Not that she has like a gigantic like tarp of a skirt. <laughs> Just drags this gigantic bag down the hill behind her. <laughs> Full of stones. Hearing this, Zielbeck knew for sure that the inventive goose woman had to be his beloved Sarikis. Against the wishes of the villagers, who all thought him mad for attempting the journey, he traveled once more to Kazalije Mountains to find his daughter and bring her home. As he fought to battle his way through the snow and slippery rocks, his courage started to wane when he suddenly saw a beam of light behind which was his daughter come to greet him. She bade him come with her, saying, Come, father, I made you some warm soup. And I've prepared a bed for you to sleep on. I hope it was cheese soup. I was just thinking broccoli cheddar. Yum. Yum, yum, yum. They spent the night chatting as if nothing had happened. Which, I mean, strange flex. But, you know, she's probably also a lot nicer than I was. I would have been like, bitch, you left me up here. Yeet him down the mountain. Yeet. (laughs) Bye, Dad. (laughs) Bye, Dad. Thanks for visiting me. Hope you like your cheese soup. <laughs> Hope it was worth it. The following morning, Zielbeck asked for some water with which he could wash himself, as well as pray and give thanks to God that he was able to find his daughter alive and well. I'm sorry, but God didn't do anything. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Sarikis brought him a jug full of salty ocean water. To which he replied, the water is too salty to wash myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, not salty water. It's too salty. Sarikis apologized and then rotated the jug towards the valleys. And before her stunned father's eyes, the jug became filled with sweet mountain water. Zielbeck at once realized that his daughter was truly blessed and he apologized for believing the lies the villagers had told about her. Just then, the mountain peak was obscured by a black cloud, and as soon as the cloud passed, Zielbeck realized with dismay that his daughter had disappeared, slash died, since he'd uncovered her secret, and was now truly gone forever. Because she was a saint, and he wasn't supposed to know that she was a saint. Zielbeck cursed the villagers for sullying his daughter's good name and separating them. Zielbeck, 
now truly lost, knowing he would never again see his beloved Sarikis wander the mountains until he died on a neighboring hill. Today, the highest peak of the mountain that bears Sarikis' tomb is named Sarikis Peak after her. I mean, it's very literally named after her. While the peak that holds the remains of her father is called Baba Tepe, or Father's Peak. The walls and goose court, also known as Kaz al Vusu, still stands and can be found on the summit of Kaz Daliye in the Kaz Mountains. Is there a gaggle of uh, Fabio geese there? I hope so. I hope there is still a gaggle of Fabio geese. They will just be like, <laughs> like just like honk and like run through <laughs> as you come by with their, their luxurious locks flowing in the breeze. <laughs> See wow. them up flying through the sky and you just see that hair waving behind them. Yep. That guy was a terrible dad and I'd die on that hill, but he already did, so... He did. <laughs> he didn't really do it. <laughs> Even though Sarikis has long since passed, legends state that if you lose your way on the mountain and have a pure heart, she will keep you safe and help you find your way. I'm fucked. <laughs> I was going to say, however, if you are a sinful person... She will ensure that you stay lost and are unable to find your way back home. Well, that's not very saintly. Good luck thwarting me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Give me those geese. <laughs> Each year from August 15th to the 25th, a pilgrimage is made to the top of Sorikis Hill to pay tribute to the legendary saint of Turkey's Blonde Maiden. Locals from Turkman and Yuruk villages gather to share a feast and say special prayers. Many of the families will set up camp in the surrounding mountain skirts, where they will sacrifice an animal, tie colorful ribbons on the stones of the legendary peaks, and light candles. There is another legend surrounding Sorikis that has to do with water. When Ala Sevish was being attacked by the Turks, a Turkish girl with golden hair and legendary beauty named Sarikis would run amongst the battlefield offering water to the soldiers. She would heal their wounds and help in whatever way she was able. During the siege, Sarikis was shot by an enemy arrow, and legend states that a spring rose from where she fell. So abundant was this spring of water that it was able to sustain vineyards and gardens, bringing life where once was death. These aren't the only legends tied to Mount Ida, or the Mountain of the Goddess. In ancient times, the mountain worshipped Jeyebela, an Anatolian mother goddess. The mountain is also where Paris, the son of King Priam of Troy, was raised as a shepherd, not realizing his royal lineage. According to this tale, just before he was born, Paris's mother dreamt of a flaming torch, which foretold the downfall of Troy. The seer Azikus stated that her child would have to die to spare the kingdom. Similar to the story of Sarikis, King Priam enlisted the help of his chief herdsman to kill his son in his stead. Unable to do the task his king had given him, he instead took Paris to the top of Mount Ida where he left him in hopes that he would perish in the wilderness on his own. Sounds like Oedipus. It does, a little bit, yeah. Although I don't think they did anything to his feet. 
Much to the herdsman's surprise, when he returned nine days later, it was to find that Paris had been fed by a she-bear. Oh, he's a nice little bear. That's um, less like Oedipus. Can we just maybe have a chat with this bear about the fact that she definitely should have mauled that kid <laughs> to death? Because, no, listen, Hector was the better kid! <laughs> <laughs> I don't I will I will fucking die on that hill for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so the herdsman took this as a sign and raised Paris as his own child. <sighs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's said that the gods of Olympus chose Paris to oversee the divine beauty contest between Athena, Aphrodite, and Hera because of the fact that Paris was so honest. Honest Paris, you know, that famous oh. saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. the honest ones always make off with somebody else's wife. Yep. Okay. Aphrodite was declared the winner after she offered Paris the love of the most beautiful woman on earth, who just happened to be Helen of Sparta. Their relationship triggered the Trojan War that lasted 10 years a war that Zeus is rumored to have watched unfold from atop the peaks of Mount Ida. It's like, oh, there was nothing else going on. This is pretty cool. Hey, guys, who has popcorn? <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> Did you bring the red vines? Oh, here comes the horse. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. <laughs> do they know what's inside? They don't know what's inside. They don't know what's inside. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I do. I know what's inside because I'm Zeus. Oh my god, I hate Zeus so much. I don't know if... Okay, no, I do hate Zeus more than Paris, but fuck him too. Yeah. They're both horrible. Also, Agamemnon, go to hell. <laughs> Definitely super honest to be accepting a bribe from a goddess so that she wins it, right? Because mm-hmm. he's so honest. It's also super honest to let your brother die because you suck. There are no winners in this story. Hector is the only good person. (laughs) (laughs) Why, Eric Bana, why? Um, First of all, I still love that movie. Me too. Because, holy (laughs) shit, he is a good-looking man. I don't care. But also, they got the gist. They changed a bunch of shit because, you know, we couldn't admit that Patroclus was... Uh, Achilles' lover and not his cousin because that weird people out. Yeah. Couldn't do that. So ingredients for this dish <laughs> were sourced from a 2020istanbul.com blog post titled Legends About Istanbul, a 2018 Make Heritage Fun article titled The Myths of Turkey, Sarikis by Selik Siftliki. I'm sorry. 2017 The Culture Trip article called Four Fascinating Myths and Legends from Turkey by Farid Yalav Hikarov. 2014 Daily Saba article titled The Legend of Sarikis Celebrated at Mount Ida by Leila Ivan Ergil. Yes. <laughs> An Algonquin College School of Media and Design website article titled The Legend of Sarikis by Sarif Adin. The Max Gax blog post titled Top 10 Scary Turkish Urban Legends. Yeah. Sorry, Keith's <laughs> Mineral Water website. <laughs> That's where the water one came from. Just pictured it like a Fiji bottle. 
It tastes like abandonment. <laughs> <laughs> this water came directly from the geese. <laughs> Somehow. The spokes geese have like the flowing hair behind them. I can't believe it's not real water. I can't believe it's not ocean water. <laughs> it's salty. It's so salty. <laughs> Oh, God, that's so gimmicky. They named mineral water. Come on. And lastly, Travel Store Turkey article titled The Most Stunning Turkish Myths and Legends by Mudasar. Thirsty? Because I am now. For Sarikis? For Sarikis? Mineral water. Let me grab you another drink and I'll be right back. I'm thirsty for Eric Bana. Let's get him over here. Thanks for waiting. I hope you saved room for dessert, since our final course will be layered. Mm. With what? There's layers to this. That's, that is a good question. Wait, what are the layers made of? I'm really scared. It's not people, is it? It's not people. It's not dead bodies? No. Is it poop? No. <laughs> Why? Okay. Listen, I don't Everything know. Everything comes down to poo. This isn't a scat sandwich, I promise. Who <laughs> has come up a lot on this show, so I'm not just pulling that out of my ass. Okay? There are no shit shortcakes here, I promise. All right. Ugh. Okay. Let's, let's do it then. Let's do it then. Our final dish of the evening is one of Turkey's most popular urban legends and takes place on a tiny island in the Bosphorus Strait near the Asian side of Istanbul. Kis Kulisa, which can be found on the southern en- at the southern entrance of the strait, is 650 feet, or 200 meters, off the coast of the Salajak neighborhood and has a number of legends tied to it. So we're going to start going through those layers. The first tale revolves around Seyid Betal Ghazi, who is a mythical warrior from Turkish folk legend. The story goes that Seyid and his soldiers traveled to Istanbul from the city of Malatya in eastern Anatolia around 700 CE in order to seize the city's treasures, as one does. I wish I could seize some damn treasure already. Same. Saeed had his men build a camp on the shore of Uskudaz, which is on the Asian side of Istanbul. Seeing that this famed warrior was building a military camp in his territory, the Tekfuz, which is the Christian ruler, sent the city's treasures and his beautiful daughter to an island in the Bosphorus Strait where they were hidden in the tower on the island. Uh-oh, don't hide people in a tower. It's never a good idea to hide anybody in a tower. That automatically makes you the wicked witch, you son of a bitch. Yep. <laughs> Unfortunately for the poor Tekfuz, Saeed had caught wind of his plan, and not only that, but after catching a glimpse of the man's daughter, he instantly no! fell in love with her. Uh huh, sure. It was love. It was love. That's what that is. Yep. Definitely. It wasn't long before Saeed rowed a boat to the tower, collected all the treasures, and also kidnapped the Tekfur's daughter. Damn it. No towers. It was so romantic. It wasn't. (laughs) What chick doesn't want 
Kidnapped by some strange man, right? Yep. And then thrown in a rowboat. <laughs> a rowboat? <laughs> <laughs> You're coming with me! <laughs> oh no, not a rowboat! That's my worst nightmare! The longest kidnapping ever! <laughs> it would be! Row, 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 We're gonna row get to know boat. each other real well! <laughs> Gently down the straight! He's going to smell so bad from all that room. I fell in love with you at first sight. Smell my musk. <laughs> <laughs> this is so <laughs> So after arriving back on the shores of Uskudar, Saeed quickly mounted his horse and rode off. And this exercise is what started the Turkish expression, quote, he who took the horse has passed Uskudas, which means that those who don't deliberate too long will achieve their goals faster than those who dilly-dally. Okay, but is there anything in there about that guy being a piece of shit? No. Okay, well, I feel like your saying is wrong. Then, so. <laughs> <laughs> the second story centers on another beautiful young maiden who was the only daughter of the Seleuk Sultan. The pair lived a happy life in the palace, where she had lavish parties and went on extravagant adventures. It sounds like a hard knock life. Yeah, no kidding. One day, an oracle predicted that the young princess would be killed by a venomous snake on her 18th birthday. Oh no, not a phallic symbol. (laughs) In other tellings, the sultan has a dream that this will come to pass. Horrified, the sultan had a tower built in the middle of the sea where he could keep her safe and far away from any snakes who would harm her. Stop putting people in towers! (laughs) (laughs) And there the princess stayed with her father as her only visitor, which I'm sure was delightful. Oh, yeah. Come on! The daughter lived in the tower for many years. And shortly before her 18th birthday, she was overcome with an illness that was hard for her to fight off. When she was finally back on the mend, the people started to send her baskets of gifts and food. Oh, God, there's going to be a snake in one Mm -hmm. of them. Yep. To celebrate the return of her good health. On the day of her 18th birthday, the Sultan also brought her a basket basket of exotic fruit to celebrate not only the fact that she had managed to escape the fate that the Oracle had foretold, but that she could now leave with her father and move back to her true home. If only he had learned the story of Oedipus about how if you try to avoid prophecies, you cause the prophecy. Mm Mm-hmm. Alas... Unbeknownst to the sultan, an asp had sewed away in the basket of fruit, and as the princess reached in, it bit her, causing her to die in her horrified father's arms, just as the oracle slash his dream predicted. And the oracle's like, dude, seriously, I told you so. I told you. Either that or his subconscious was like, ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> Following her death, the sultan refused to bury her in the ground, convinced in his grief that the snakes would continue to come for her. Yeah, this is where it kind of gets weird. Okay, oh, no. but please don't do anything to her dead body because I'm getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> Instead, 
He ordered that her body should be placed in a coffin and placed on one of the highest walls of Hagia Sophia, a monument in Istanbul that has gone through several iterations. It started as a church, then a Roman Catholic cathedral, then a mosque, then a museum, and it is now once again a mosque. Sounds like Istanbul. Yep. This guy really thinks that high things are the solution to all of his problems. Yep. I feel like somewhere down the road in history, it's going to be like, you ever go and you climb up and you look at the top of your uh, bookshelf and you find something and you're like, when the hell did that get up there? <laughs> like- yep. So in some tellings of this story, the snake was hidden amongst a basket of grapes and bit the princess as she slept. And in others, the father is a Byzantine? Byzantine? Byzantine. Byzantine. Damn it. It's a Byzantine emperor, not a sultan. And still others, two holes appeared later in the coffin from a snake that had made its way through the walls in order to bite her some more. Because, of course, snakes like to bite dead people, I guess. Inside coffins. Yep. Inside coffins that are hanging up on a wall. Mm -hmm. Totally worth it. This is some weird-ass decoration you got going on, dude. (laughs) What's in here? What's in the box? Don't open it! (laughs) Another reference to this tower, and another legend tied to it, is the Greek myth of Hero and Leander, which is why the tower is also at times referred to as Leander's Tire. Tower. Jesus. Tire. Tire. (laughs) Tire. Leander's Tire. It's a great big swing. (laughs) It's a great big swing. (laughs) I'm into it. It's also good for going for rolling down mountains. <laughs> According to Ovidius, Hero, who was a priestess slash nun for the goddess Aphrodite, lived in a tower on the small island. Across the strait, a young man named Leander from Abydus lived, and he fell madly in love with Hero after meeting her one night outside Aphrodite's temple following a ceremony. Following this fateful meeting, Each night, Leander swam across the strait to visit her, and in turn, Hero would light a lamp each night at the top of the tower to light Leander's way. After a time, Hero succumbed to Leander's words of devotion and of how it was absurd that the goddess of love, Aphrodite, would take the devotion of a virgin so seriously. Keep your penis to yourself. Nobody wants it here. (laughs) Unless you're Eric Bana, and then fine. (laughs) With those honeyed words, Hero allowed her nightly visitor to make love to her, thereby breaking her oath to the goddess that she served. The routine of Leander visiting Hero each night continued unabated throughout the warm summer months until one stormy winter night, The waves of the strait tossed Leander about, and the wind blew out the light in the tower so that he lost his way and drowned. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, oh no! Oh no, not that guy. I like him so much. (laughs) Upon learning of her lover's death, Hero, of course, threw herself from the top of the tower in her grief and eagerness to join him. However... This legend isn't believed to be tied to the Maiden's Tower because the story is in fact a legend from the Dardanelles, and Leander would have been swimming across Abydos 
which is Asabot today, and the island of Sestus, which today is Kanakali City. So it's not the same place. I don't know where oh. that is, but they are not the same place. Well, the good news is that Constantinople is now Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So there you go. that's literally the only thing I know. About <laughs> yep. But if you want to know why Constantinople got the works, it's nobody's business but the Turks. This is true. It's true. Historically, the medieval tower has served many functions over the centuries, including but not limited to a castle, def- defense point, warehouse, customs checkpoint, lighthouse, quarantine zone, and a water reservoir. Question, were any of the functions looking like a penis? Because I feel like one of them should be. Kind of looks like a penis. Hey, you know where I should hide my maiden? In a phallic symbol. <laughs> no one will look there. My stars. I'm overcome with my brilliance. And sheer wit. You sounded like Tom Hanks and Lady <laughs> <Miller>. Yep. <laughs> you did. You did. Nailed it. Weed pancakes forthwith. Oh my god. <laughs> so the structure itself dates back all the way to the 4th century. And the architectural style is very reminiscent of the era, which was approximately 340 B.C. It was built by Alcibiades, the Athenian general, on a rock at the entrance of the Bosphorus Strait, so he could use it as surveillance. Upon its completion, a chain was pulled from land out to the island to make the tower into a checkpoint and customs stop for ships traveling through the area. What, did they just clothesline the ships? Yeah. They did. They did. They did. They did. Hey, that's a mighty nice mast you have there. Be ashamed if someone broke it. (laughs) Got any maidens we can stick in that tower? You like my penis? (laughs) At that time, it was known as Lindros and Damalis after the wife of Caris, the king of Athens. In the 12th century AD, Emperor Alexius, Alexus Komnenos, yep, built a strong defense tower that he christened Arkla, or Small Tower. So at least he was being accurate. <laughs> it's itty bitty. <laughs> That's so literal. Can you imagine, like, having this thing built, and then when it's finished, you're like, ah, oh, yes, I'm very pleased with it. I will call it small tower. What else is like, sure, boss? Sure? He's like, yes. Don't question the emperor. This is a small tower. And then he has them beheaded. (laughs) (laughs) Thrown in his small tower. Following the fall of Constantinople to the Ottoman army, the tower was demolished and rebuilt as a wooden structure that it may not surprise you to learn burned down in 1719. (laughs) Speaking of antique wooden cocks. (laughs) 
during the 1830 cholera epidemic, the tower was transformed into a quarantine hospital and radio station so those on the island could still communicate with the mainland. Doesn't cholera make you poop a whole bunch? Or is that dysentery? That's dysentery. That's dysentery. What does cholera do? I just pictured everybody stuck in a tower just shooting up a storm. <laughs> how no. that would be. This phallus is quickly filling up with shit. It's a shitty location. Nobody wants to go there. Someone radio for help. Ooh, we're wrong. They're both, they both cause diarrhea. <laughs> okay, okay. On Wikipedia, it says that the classic symptom of cholera is large amounts of watery diarrhea. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> oh. Oh, that would be one gross tower. Oh, it smells so bad. <laughs> You think they stick their butts out the windows? I don't think there were a lot of... (laughs) There weren't enough windows, I can tell you that. (laughs) There's no ventilation. From looking at pictures of this tower, there would not have been nearly enough windows. Oh, Oh, God. Everything comes up and down. (laughs) (laughs) You totally called it earlier. So I lied. One layer is shit. I I am the oracle, or I've just had, or I've just had a lot of caffeine and no sleep. It's probably the second thing. I predict there's gonna be shit in this story. Mm, yes. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, this episode of Pineapple Pizza will have poop and penis references. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> okay. The head architect of Istanbul. Naif Shahirli, Damat, Ibrahim Pasha. Just had four names, so give me some credit. Recreated the stone version to which a glass kiosk and lead covered dome were later added. Sultan Mahmoud II's signature was inscribed by calligrapher Rakim Effendi in marble later on and in 1857 a lantern was installed into the tower before it was converted to automatic lighting in 1920 so it's got a lighthouse on the top the building was given to the ministry of defense in 16 i'm sorry in 1964 and in 1982 it was passed on to maritime enterprises the final restoration to the structure was done in 1998 go nandis Today, <laughs> you can visit the Maiden Tower, as it is also known in Uskadar, in the Uskadar district of Istanbul. It's built on a small islet at the southern entrance of the Bosphorus Strait off the coast. There is a restaurant on the first floor, a museum with free admission, and a cafe at the top of the tower. And you can reach this super cool tower by boat. Rowboat. Not rowboat, thank God. <laughs> rowboat, rowboat, rowboat. I'm sure you could. <laughs> Hopefully you get Saeed to row it for you. I hear he really likes small towers. In pop culture, this tower was featured in a number of movies, such as the James Bond films The World Is Not Enough and From Russia With Love, as well as the movie Hitman. It's been in a number of Turkish dramas, as well as in the video game Assassin's Creed Revelations. Ah, cool. 
and ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2020 Istanbul.com blog post titled Legends About Istanbul, 2017 The Culture Trip article titled A Brief History of the Maiden's Tower in Istanbul by Farid Yalav Hikaroth, All About Istanbul page titled Kizkuliza Temple, or I'm sorry, Kizkuliza Tower in Istanbul. Istanbul Travel Guide article titled Romantic Maiden's Tower Tales, Location, Directions, and Tips. It is not romantic. There's a lot of shit there. There's nothing romantic about some place where people poop themselves to death. Don't write an article about a tower and put tips in the title. (laughs) (laughs) Just the tip. Just the tip. It doesn't count. You're still a maiden. You're still a maiden. (laughs) Max Gek's blog post titled Top 10 Scary Turkish Urban Legends, Travel Store Turkey article titled The Most Stunning Turkish Myths and Legends by Mudasar, and Wikipedia. Ta-da, I made it! Cholera, <laughs> watery shits! <laughs> that was a really hard one for me, because I am not good with Turkish. I'm really sorry, anybody language. in Turkey. I'm so sorry. I tried really hard. Well, that and letters, letter combinations do not make anywhere near the same sounds that they do for us. There were so many like shush sounds, but there'd mm. be an R there. And I'm like, why does this R sound like a shush? <laughs> so I was very, <laughs> co- I was very confused. I had a C that sounded like a J. I was like, okay. That's why I had to Google that translate that one earlier because I was like there's no way in hell I'm going to be able to pronounce this properly. (laughs) No way. Absolutely no way. It's not going to happen. You have a beautiful language but I just can't say it. (laughs) I just can't speak it. So yeah. Does anybody have anything good they'd like to share? Ash and I watched the first episode of Ted Lasso together last night. Mm. That was pretty good. Yeah, uh, it turns out the answer to how many people with master's degrees does it take (laughs) to figure out how to screen share Apple TV is two. Uh, And it also takes an extended amount of time. (laughs) But we got there and now we know what to do. There you go. We sure did. (laughs) Proud of you. It was good. I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more. Honestly, it made me really want to go and purchase the Apple TV or the Apple Plus subscription. But I was like, no, I got to save it. I got to watch this with Ash. <laughs> well, technically, now that I added you, you do have access to it. So you could just watch it. With great power comes great responsibility. And <laughs> I'll save it for our date night. There you go. Don't kill Uncle Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. I actually have an uncle named Ben. I would never do that. Oh, no. I'm sorry, Emily's Uncle Ben. Yeah, I would create some family issues if I did that. Pretty sure I wouldn't be welcome at Christmas anymore. That's fair. Slash Ashley's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think of what my something good is. I had a work planning meeting today, which sounds really bad and boring. And why, why is that something good? We went to this awesome place in Minneapolis that I've never been to before. And basically, you get these, like, cards that you use kind of like a credit card. There's, like, multiple food vendors in this place. And there's, like, a beer wall. And you use this card to go to, like, any of those vendors and to get as much beer as you want 
I mean, don't kill yourself and give yourself alcohol poisoning, but drink responsibly. And then they only charge the one credit card fee. So they all like kind of like share the tax that gets charged for using credit cards. Hey, Lindsay, does that beer wall have 99 bottles on it? It doesn't. I wish. (laughs) (laughs) It has really cool screens, though. It had a screen of like what the thing was and it told you above it what kind of beer it was. Ooh, educational beer wall. It was an educational <laughs> beer wall. And then it had the little like slide, like the card thing below. So you couldn't actually dispense the beer until you put the card there first. I was so Makes impressed. Me think of those old New York lunch, the eateries that you'd go into and you'd put your money into the wall and it would like pop out the food that you wanted. Yep. But with beer. But with beer. And I had this chicken sandwich that was amazing. Oh, man. Just thinking about it. You just hear my stomach grumble. (laughs) I did, yeah. (laughs) It was so good. But yeah, that's my something good. Is I got to hang out with the marketing team, like my boss and my coworker, and eat and have beer and talk shop. So that was fun. It does sound fun. And free food is always good. Oh, man. So good. Free beer is even better. (laughs) (laughs) It was good. I don't know if I have anything other than the Ted Lasso thing that I did with Emily yesterday. Um, We can share it. We could share it, just like we shared that episode when I finally fucking figured (laughs) out. (laughs) It took so many tries. The feeling of triumph was real, though. Um. Well, I mean, I made it through today. This is going to be a really apparently tough week at work, even though I love my job. But I made it through the day. I didn't scream at anybody, even though I really wanted to. So I feel like that could be my good thing for today. That is a good thing. It is a good thing. Managing not to scream at people is a really good thing, because some days that's hard. Yes, it can be very hard some days. (laughs) 10 out of 10. Can't agree with that. Well, on that note, thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying a feminist feast of urban legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy. Not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? If you're enjoying the show and you'd like to help support us, Check out our Tee Public shop for some amazingly fun and funny merch. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, you can do that on buymeacoffee.com and buy us a fresh slice. Because we can never get enough of basically anything, if we're being honest. If you absolutely love the show and you want to check out some fantastic bonus content, you can become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. The $3 Mythbuster, $7 Cryptid Hunter, and $15 Storyteller. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. Don't forget, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PineAppPizzaPod. That's PineAppAppPizzaPod. You can also send us questions, comments, and topic ideas at PineAppPizzaPod. APP pizza pod at gmail.com. Remember, there's the two P's in app. Otherwise, you're emailing someone else, and I don't want to be held responsible for that. 
Thanks for stopping in for some deliciously weird morsels. And just remember, no matter how you slice it, you're awesome. And we love you.